Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Welcome to Cyber Synapse, and today I'm joined by Neil Dusen-Smith, and I'm going to read his bio out because um, we're going to move forward from the bio to the questions. And Neil is a sergeant with 27 years worth of policing experience, a, police off- a road police officer for seven years, custody sergeant for seven years, and is currently a force incident sergeant for Cheshire Police. He's seen the impact and devastating consequences of poor driving from the first point of contact right through to court. He has a passion for social media and how police forces and individual officers can use it effectively to engage with their communities and build trust to change behaviours. He has a passion for road safety and is the founder of the internationally recognised hashtag Don't Stream and Drive campaign. In April 2017, he travelled to the Smile Conference in Los Angeles, where he won the International Social Media Leadership Award. So I'm going to ask you about that as well, Neil. So, okay. first of all, welcome to, to Cyber Synapse. Thank you uh, for having me. What, why do you do what, what you do? With social media, it's, it's an odd thing, isn't it? There's, and it's a question that comes up all the time because predominantly it's stuff that I do in my own time. And they'll say, why, why do you do this stuff in your own time? Um, and, I mean, it's a long, convoluted story that how I got into social media and how I <coughs> use it, which, which I won't bore you with, to be honest. But it, it, I, I got involved with it, and it led to a point where I looked and I thought, I, I started anonymously. Um, and I wanted to sort of um, put information out there about what I did as a custody sergeant. Um, and by being anonymous, I could talk about little bits and pieces of information and people that were coming through the door that I couldn't talk about if people knew exactly where I worked because they'd be able to draw compa- um, you know, parallels to who I might be talking about. Yeah. Um, so it was quite useful to me able to just sort of share some of the experiences because I think a lot of the time is that people don't really understand um, the role that the police have and some of the things that we do and we have to do that, that go on that people just sort of think, well, if I don't know about it, I don't need to worry about it. Um, but I got involved in using social media to sort of push that some of that information out there and just sort of um, as a sort of opposite to some of the information that might be being um, um, promoted by the media or by the government to sort of say, well, that's what they're saying. This is what we're and this is what I've got to say. This is my view of it. Yeah. Um, and that has just gradually progressed over the years. I've, you know, I've gone from anonymity to being completely identifiable. Um, you know, I've gone from people not knowing the force that I work for and making all sorts of guesses to work, find out where I am. Yeah. Um, some right on the nail, some completely miles off. Um, but I'm completely identifiable now. Um, and the, um, the, the work for road safety... Um, I would always have pushed and, and, and promoted road safety ideas and seatbelts and don't speed and don't drink and drive and things like that throughout my time on social media. And, and in fact, when I was first um, challenged by one of the chief inspectors at custody when they sort of figured out who I was, you know, they said, well, you put something out about a drink driver the other day and said that it was shocking high reading and people could have been killed. And he said, it's a really valid point, you know. So I was doing a lot of stuff for road safety then but it was only when I got sort of involved with live video that the Don't Stream and Drive thing started to develop into something. Mm-hmm. 
So, so obviously, um, one of the reasons I'm speaking to you today is because I follow you on social media and obviously I saw what you did with Aviva and, and this, this whole campaign of Don't Stream and Drive. Uh, so where, where do you think we're going with this in today's society? Because since you started this campaign, uh, we've had the, the new update on the phone, haven't we, that now puts you into drive mode and, and doesn't allow you to open your phone unless you override it. So I'm, I'm just thinking about what, where do you think we're heading with um, that your campaign and people using their phone when they're driving? Because obviously they're both two very different worlds. Yeah. Um, I'd love to reach a day where the Don't Stream and Drive campaign wasn't entirely necessary at all. Um, I'd love to reach the day where the 50 years of, of campaigning against drink drive wasn't needed at all. But I think no matter how hard we try with these things and no matter how much we push information out there, um, eliminating a problem completely is um, massively difficult, massively time intensive and takes decades as we can see. And drink drive is still a problem now and it's 50 years of campaigning. Yeah. So. Um, I think the use of mobile phones and the connectivity of a mobile phone within a car, either as, as a standalone piece of kit or whether it's connected to one of these huge sort of fancy infotainment systems that you get in cars now, mm -hmm. I think the problem of distracted driving um, through phones and their connectivity with our cars is only going to increase because more and more people are connected to social media and connected to different platforms that they want to engage with that behavior and they we've gone into this um, always on culture where yeah. a notification or a message can't be ignored we've got to look at it we've got to know what it is and that's mm -hmm. going to cause us problems so i think the campaign will continue but i think until we get to a point where um people really truly recognize the dangers of that distraction um, and manufacturers, from my perspective, start to build distractions out of cars. Well, then mm. this is only ever going to be required. You know, it's only ever going to be required. It's just going to have to keep rolling um, because the dangers aren't going to go away. Yeah, yeah. So, so in in terms of how how car makers could do that, what what do you see that they they would need to do? Um, because I've got a re really kind of um, therapy question around um why do you think we do what we do with phones but i'm just thinking about it it might be really interesting for car makers to hear um hear this what what do you think they need to be putting into their cars to make the distractions less i think one of the biggest issues is that um i, I mean it's the, the clue is in the word really isn't it infotainment and i think there are the um the requirement to have certain pieces of information presented to you while you're driving a car um, can be very important. You know, warning lights that tell us that your engine, um, your oil pressure is low or the engine management fault light has come on. Things that just tell you that there's something that you need to deal with. Um, but some of the information that's being put forward by manufacturers now and the multiple different screens that they can offer with information are mostly completely irrelevant to your safety getting from point A to point yeah. B. Yeah. Um, that information you don't need that information. Um, entertainment, the attainment side of it is obviously you know in most regards is your your music and your radio stations. That's all people generally want. Mm -hmm. If you know um, there's a um, 
a, a, a player in, in my car that will take one CD and it will play music from the CD. But if you put a DVD in it, because it's got a, a screen, it will play the DVD. And you think, why would you ever, ever need that in a car? Mm-hmm. All right, fair enough. For the argument, you could be parked up somewhere waiting forever and a day to pick somebody up or whatever, and you think it passes the time. Fine, but um, maybe it should have an isolation feature if the vehicle's in motion, just as this one worked, you know. Um, but I think manufacturers have got to start looking at what is actually vital. What is the purpose of a car? And the purpose of the car is to get somebody from A to B safely. Yeah. And if we're going to build stuff into the car that's, you know, that provides information, is that information vital? If it's not vital, well, then bury it behind a screen. You know, the vehicle says it's in motion. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll use an example that I've got of, of a car that belongs to a friend of mine, which is an incredibly clever car. Um, and, and it's a brand. In fact, I won't even name the brand, but basically it's a hybrid vehicle. Mm-hmm. And this hybrid vehicle has got a wonderful screen on the dashboard right in the center. And it's got this visual representation of the of a skeleton of the car. And it shows, you can have it on the screen while you're driving, and it shows whether you're being powered by petrol or whether the batteries are being charged or whether the batteries are powering the wheels. or whether. And, and there's all arrows moving in different directions about which way the charge is going and... and and you think, why do you need to know that whilst you're driving a car? All you need to know is that you've got sufficient fuel and battery power to get you to where you need to be. Absolutely. Like a fuel gauge. Yeah. I don't need to know how much fuel and the burn and the, the comparison between how much fuel and air ratio is and whether I'm getting a good spark. I just need to know that it's not going to run out before I get to where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's a lot of irrelevant information saying, look, we know it sort of says, aren't we clever? We can do all this fantastic stuff, and it's very clever, and it and it appeals to people because it's it's a bit sort of like eye candy, isn't it? It's like oh, all these yeah. gadgets on the car, yeah. but when you come down to the crunch of it, you have to say, is it really necessary, and do I need it? And probably nine times out of ten, the answer is no. Yeah, I, th- there was a part of me that I was uh, so I'm uh, an engineer by trade, and I was kind of going, oh, this it taps into the the geekiness and and like you've said, the cleverness, doesn't it? I, mm. But what, what I was listening to while you were talking was the fact that I think I've been distracted when driving by other people in other cars with their displays. So as they've, as they've driven past me on the motorway and they've got one of these big displays up and I'm, it's almost like watching a movie in somebody else's car. Yeah. Um, so th- there's a lot of terminology that um, I use where I talk about digital distraction, digital dementia. So these are terms that get used in academia. But for me... There's also driver distraction. So either the driver in the car with the technology, and as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, I remember seeing that on somebody's car not so long ago going mm. past. Mm. Um, and I must admit, I did look and spend more than the, the one, one and a half, two seconds thinking that looks really amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm just thinking that actually we're, we're creating a situation where it's not just us in our cars. There's potential for it to be distracting to other drivers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just thinking about the, the kind of job that you do. So if we're taking this message out to people, which is what I hope this podcast is going to do, what do you think people need to know about the impact? Um, so I, I work with clients who are traumatized, and sometimes those clients have been the driver in the car that was distracted, or they've been the victim of the person yeah. that was distracted. So I'm just thinking about 
what what impact does this have on people and what do, what can you tell people about what you see at your side of the job um that i mean i spent seven years on road policing um i'm now sort of gosh um it was 2005 when when i left that department and and transferred forces and I, um so but during that time I dealt with countless collisions on the roads and countless um, serious injury and fatal accidents where you're dealing with, with the, the not only are you dealing with the technicalities of sort of pulling that investigation together and dealing with the, um, the, the suspect, um, but you were also, because we weren't really into the mode of family liaison officers at that time, mm. you, the, the, the officer in the case did everything. Um, so you were also managing all the emotions of the family as well. Um, and uh, it's, it's completely disabling for families when they're faced with this situation, whether it's a third party that has done something that has left them bereaved, where the, the focus of the blame wants to be on, on this other person and what they've done, or they're left in complete and utter disbelief as to saying, well, why did our John do that? Yeah. We don't understand why he would do that because he's, or she, you know, but they're a normal, sensible, rational, rational um, and, and, and positive human being. And then they do something foolish that has tragic consequences in terms of family upside down. It's, it's the trauma that you see in families and, and, the, and the shock, um, I don't think he's anything that they'll ever, ever, ever lose. It, it just will never go away. I, I think, I mean, you're far more a specialist in that, but I sort of, we've had very close friends who lost their son in, in a collision. Um, and it's one of those things where you sort of say, um, you will never, ever, ever get over this, but you might learn to be able to cope with how you feel about it. Um, but it, it's awful. Um, and I think that's the one thing really is that, for most people who are using the road, 99.99999 whatever percent of the time, we get from A to B without a problem. Maybe we get a bit cross with another driver, um, which is another campaign that I've started up just recently. Um, but um, ultimately, you get there safely and it's not a problem. And so you don't tend to think about the consequences of what could or what might happen because of something you do or that car that's coming towards the red traffic light that you've just pulled apart, yeah. um, coming from the other side. So I don't think people tend to think about the consequences. And, and that sometimes leaves people who are then the suspect in, in something where they've caused calamity, is that it's this complete life imploding sort of moment because generally, otherwise, yeah. they're not criminals who are coming into contact with the police all the time. Um, they're just somebody who was driving to work who did something stupid. Yeah. Um, and the consequences, particularly with the, with the legislation changes that are proposed, could see you in prison for life. Um, absolutely. I, I was heading towards the legislation. Mm. So there, there is something around. Um, so the, one of the questions I want to ask is your, your hashtag was don't stream and drive. Yeah. And the number of people that I speak to, particularly, um, and I'm going to say the adolescent stage, so somewhere between about 17 through to 25, their understanding of the word streaming and, and kind of your hashtag, I, I might be saying, well, well, that includes maybe podcasting or it includes, because actually if you're looking at something that's live or 
you're listening to something that distracts your attention rather than the the radio or the CD, as you've said. Yeah. You know what? What what was your campaign mainly aimed at? What kind of streaming? Okay, because obviously streaming is is like a sort of coverall, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, d- I don't think I could come up with a word that would sort of you know um, that that could fit it and make it sort of short enough. Um, but um, the streaming that we're looking at, because obviously you've mentioned there, is you could be you could be tethered with Bluetooth to your car stereo and listening to a podcast, which is like listening to a radio broadcast. Mm-hmm. You know, interacting with it. Um, but this was about, um, it all stemmed from the platform Periscope, which we mentioned a little bit earlier before we started recording. And Periscope was something that was drawn to my attention by, um, somebody who works for the college of policing. And they said, well, is anybody using this platform? Does anybody know anything about it? And being the kind of guy that I am with social media and wanting to know, I went and had a look and I thought, oh, this is interesting live video. We can do some stuff with this. And it was, as I started to see people using that whilst they were behind the wheel of the car that I just my traffic head went on and just went wait a minute this is crazy um and so it's actually live streaming video from the car whilst you're driving or even to some degree if you're a passenger um because it's that the danger that comes from that is is fairly obvious from my perspective um, but it was live streaming video, live broadcasting from your car straight onto the internet um, whilst you're behind the wheel of the car. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm quite, um, quite aware actually that when, so for, for you saying for the passenger, the moment you start to do this live streaming actually, and I, I am going to talk about adolescents for a moment and it's not because it is stereotypical to name them. They tend to be the cohort of people using this technology more than, uh, for example, a 55-year-old driving down the road is not going to start Snapchatting. Um, but I'm, I'm quite interested in the, the fact that people take pictures while they're driving they, uh, and the live streaming. But also, if somebody says they're live streaming at the side of you, you're likely to act up a little bit or not pay attention to what you're doing. And it's that, that's what I think you were saying earlier. It's that moment of foolishness that then results in something which can be disastrous. And it's, mm-hmm. it's about, I think, that, that that's the kind of education that I see your campaign was bringing out. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, Obviously, we, we've spoken on Twitter a couple of times, and, and I've seen that there's another version of live streaming, and it's after the accidents happen. So we're, we're into quite a, an unknown domain using this technology to do things that we've never been able to do before. And I think that's, that's kind of what we're looking at as we go yeah. forward. So yeah. where, where do you see this in terms of education, and where, where should we be taking this? What should we be doing about it? Because um, I know that you have been doing a little bit of this, so this is about what we can tell the podcasting community. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd just start by saying that although you know it, it's very easy to fall into the trap of the adolescents and the, and the fact that the, they're they're more likely to be engaged with social media and using social media, um, I think from my experience is that um, Periscope is is very easy um, because it's open. And generally, unless it's a locked account, you can see it, and so you can find it. And the mm-hmm. age group of people that I've seen using Periscope and driving is immense, from one end of the scale right to the other, um, and people from every walk of life. Um, it's it's really cross-generational, the people that are using it. Um, that was the first thing. Um, where, do I see it, where do I see it going? I think you said, didn't you? Where, where are we, how do we educate? Yeah. Um, I think 
the, the, the crux of the campaign for me has always been um, about trying to raise people's awareness of the dangers because I don't think the, the primary fault, I think, is people aren't thinking about it. And that might be a little bit Nirvana, sort of trying to look for the, the, you know, the, the golden egg that everybody goes, oh, I understand, and they stop doing it because, but you know, I'm, I'm practical enough to know that that probably isn't likely to happen. But that's the objective, um, is to make people aware of it. And I've done that through pushing stuff through social media, talking about it. I've presented at conferences, talking about the dangers of, of distracted driving and don't stream and drive, and show people stuff to sort of make them go. Mm-hmm. You know, and in many ways, it's no different to any other advertising campaign that we've yeah. done for road safety over the years, be it drink drive or wearing your seatbelt or whatever it happens to be. Just doing it through a different platform. Um, one of the things that I have done, I've, I've backed off it just recently, um, but when I first started going was that I actually would um, sort of, I, I challenge people about it. Um not for the purpose of trying to embarrass or shame them or um, or offend them, but just to say, I've just seen you broadcast. Have you any idea how dangerous it is what you've just done? Mm-hmm. And try and interact with people because that's yeah. social media, isn't it? You're being social. So you're yeah. saying, look, you know, in some cases what I did, um, I ran a trial with, it, with a couple where um, I would actually record a Periscope broadcast myself and I would copy that person's account into the broadcast so they got a mention. And then I would stand head shot into the, into the camera and just say, this broadcast is for you and I really want you to listen because this is what I've just watched you do. And those have been quite impactive too. Um, but it's just about building up that knowledge and, and that comes through and dovetails with every other sort of mobile phone issue, whether people are sending texts, whether they're scrolling on the internet, looking at emails, getting alerts from Snapchat um, or any other platform or, you know, or or just, you know, making hands-free phone calls is a distraction. Yeah. Yeah, It's all there. Yeah, even with the ability to shout at your phone and ask it to call somebody and then it doesn't do what you want it to. And actually, that's the distractive process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so the big question is around this legislation. So what what do you think about this new legislation that's coming out about... um, So the distinction that people will try to make between a sat-nav and a phone, particularly if you're using your phone for sat-nav. Yeah. Um, It's always been very difficult. Um, and some of the more technical uses of phones for, for, for sat-nav or for streaming are quite difficult for the police to detect because it's not somebody driving down the road like that. Yeah. Which is, um, you know, so it's, it's harder for us to detect it and harder for us to see it. Um, I think in the long term, I think technology will advance as it does and there will be something eventually that comes along that makes it far easier for us to detect if a phone is in use um, or has been in use or um, examining a phone after a collision that shows that calls were made or texts were made, yeah. I would imagine that we'll start looking and say, well, actually, there was a data spike during the time that that collision occurred, which shows there was some intense internet activity going on at that time, not just background scanning for emails or whatever. Um, so I think it's difficult to... to um, detect sometimes at this at this moment in time and prosecute, but there are cases coming through, and and mm. and and that will only increase. 
Um, the legislation, um, if you focus on Section 1 of the Road Traffic Act, Death by Dangerous Driving, um, that carries a maximum of 14 years. Um, and if you then compare that to the Thomas Croker case, uh, who was the HGV driver who was fiddling with his um, phone and looking at music, yeah. collided with the stationary traffic, he killed three children and, a, and, a, and an adult woman, um, and he got 10 years. So he didn't reach the maximum sentence. Uh, and you'd look and think, well, if you've killed four people in those circumstances, what do you have to do to reach the maximum sentence? But obviously, the sentencing guidelines are there. The judges and magistrates have to follow them. He made an early guilty plea. So there's all sorts of things that make those changes. Um, and so, but there's always been a call. And there's always, I mean, I blogged about it recently on, on my blog. Can I put my web link in there? Uh, yes, we'll yeah. put it all Don't stream, there. It's, just, it's relatively new at the moment, don'tstreamanddrive.com. Uh, I put a blog in there the other day, which was about the fact that um, the drivers um, that um, are doing these offenses, are committing these offenses. Um, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. Um, so maximum sentences and... Maximum sentence is 14 years. You might have to edit that bit there. Maximum sentence is 14 years. Um, and you have to think, well, what did he... What would he have to have done to have got the full sentence? But there's always been this argument and this debate about the fact that the, the blog I wrote recently says that I've, I've seen families stood on the steps of the court talking to the media saying, you know, we've lost our loved one and this sentence of 18 months is just insignificant and and people want that punishment they want that retribution they want to know that the person who has has, has robbed them of, of this family member um is to be punished and sometimes the punishment didn't always seem to fit the serious nature of what they'd actually done yeah. um and so there's always been a call and there's always been a debate around um whether um death by dangerous driving should have been prosecuted as manslaughter which then carries the life sentence. Uh, and um, there was a very eloquent blog by a, a barrister a couple of years ago who, who argued against that, um, which was very well done. Um, but the government are obviously under pressure from, from the public and, and from road safety organisations and, and from victims, charities and such to sort of say, this isn't enough. And so they propose this legislation now for life. Um, and it will be really interesting. It's early days because they've not really put it into any context yet, but it'll be really interesting to see where that goes. Um, my initial view, if you look at the Croker case, which I mentioned a second ago, if you were to do that under the new proposed legislation, I sort of looked and thought, well, where would he be with a life sentence? He said, well, yes, he'll get life in prison, but the chances are he would get a minimum tariff. So say you're sentenced to life with a minimum tariff of 15 years or 12 years or whatever it happens to be. And then he's released, but he'd be released on life license like a murderer would be. So he can be recalled to prison at any time. So that's the only real difference to me. Um, and in my heart of hearts, I sort of look and think you could put this person in prison for 12 months or you could put them in prison for 20 years. Um, it's not going to bring the love person back. And that's the heartbreaking bit that, um, no matter how long somebody's sent to prison for, it isn't going to change the circumstances of what's happened, uh, which is generally, which is just awful. Um, yeah, there, but, there is something uh, about when when you said earlier. So it's a moment of distraction causes a lifetime of pain. Yes, I mean it's very difficult as well because as you know, we've said many years uh, for many years that um, 
And I can remember when I first joined the police and the people that were coming into custody for theft and burglary and, and drug offences and all those kind of things were all, they all fit the pattern that you were expecting to see. The drink driver didn't because the drink driver was the ordinary bloke or the ordinary woman who just had a drink and drove home and hadn't thought they were doing nothing wrong and never saw themselves as a criminal. And then they're at the charge desk being told to take the laces out of their shoes and they're like, well, why would I need to do that? I'm not going to kill myself, officer. And it was a, it's a procedure, we do it with everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, the, it was the offence where people who would never, ever come into contact with the police at all during their life come into contact with us. And the use of phones and, and the driving offences and death by dangerous driving is very much uh, the same in that um, we will get people who, who come into custody who have never had any contact with the police before. They've done something stupid. It's had catastrophic consequences. And they, then they have to sort of sit there and face the music, but it's a completely alien system to them. So when you then get them to court, they're a first-time offender. Yeah. So that has to be viewed as well and taken into consideration. As, and, you know, Croker was a first-time offender and got 10 years in prison. Now you show me a shoplifter that's gone to court and been put to, sent to jail for a maximum of five years um, for a first-time offence. Yeah. So it, well, building up to that maximum yeah. penalty is going to, you know, because it's not people who kill on the roads aren't generally repeat offenders. Yeah. But they tally up to the full sentence. Yeah. For me, there's something about the, the word intention. So, so behind somebody who steals, there is an intention to steal. And for yes. somebody who does this, it's as we're talking, it's that moment of stupidity, moment of distraction. And actually, they didn't intend for the consequences. I'm. I just have one more question because I'm aware we're coming towards the end. Um, okay. So how do you how do you see this this new legislation playing out between phones phones in the the little stands that they have connected to the windows or the air vents and so on and sat navs because um, what I am seeing is that there there are a lot of people that I've spoken to and I just generally make ask questions. There are a lot of people say but a sat nav's different because it's not a a device and said but your attention is being given to that device um, mm -hmm. almost the same as leaning down and getting the cds from the footwell yep um, so how, how do you see that this this piece of information needs to be for people driving so what do they need to actually know yeah um i think the sat navs has been and will always be a difficult uh area for people to to comprehend and grasp um my sort of belief and thought with regard to sat-navs, whether it's a built-in sat-nav or whether it's an independent sat-nav or whether it's part of your mobile phone, is that you program it, you set it up, you start your journey, and then you get to your destination. If you need to make any adjustments to that along the way, stop, sort it out, correct your route, and then carry on. Yeah. But obviously, people can often be impatient and that's where the interfering with the sat-nav that's built in or with, you know, one of these multifunction knobs or touch screens or they're using their phone to sort of say, oh, I, I need petrol, where's the nearest petrol station? Yeah. That's when the problems start to arise. The sat-nav in itself isn't a problem. It's when you start interacting with it when you shouldn't be that it can be, um, that it can start to have consequences. Um, and so, um, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of device it is and how you're accessing a sat-nav and using a sat-nav. It's about 
what you do with it whilst you're in motion that's important and that's the thing that's really important to drive to drive home to people is to sort of say set it leave it you know radio stations didn't used to used to sort of say didn't they tune in um turn up and rip the knob off and and it's sort of like the same thing with the sat nav program it shut the thing down don't touch it and what have you and if and the only thing that you're going to be using it for is a glance to go yeah i'm at the right road not a um just pinch the map out oh oh too late it's it's you know it's it's a glance one of the things that i talk about with don't stream and drive and some of the videos that i've got of people streaming is that they're driving down the road and they're spending more time looking at the phone and talking to people and glancing at the road so it's a complete reversal of what they should be doing you'd be looking at the road concentrating on the road all the mirrors and then glance got it boom but what they do is they spend more time down. and it's a complete swap around which is yeah. really quite when you see it in action it's really quite scary but it's the same thing with the sat nav is that you've got to sort of glance at it know you're right if you're not sure stop pull over double check reset make sure you're right carry on yeah. um because it's the it's the interaction with the devices whilst you're in motion that cause the problems. Yeah, I I, I do have a little um uh, a little example of actually that's what I do with my sat now. I mean I find it hard to hold a conversation in a car because I can't I can't multitask. Um, and yes, I am a woman and and we're supposedly capable of this, but I can't do it. Um, what I have found is my sat now will now say, "Would you like to change to a better route?" And I've got to press a button to get mm. it to change to the better route. Yeah. And sometimes I think, oh, I don't know. Because this is just a little bit of traffic, or uh, yeah. So now the sat nav's asking me what I want to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've I found that sometimes that's one of the issues. Perhaps is is the sat nav will say, "Oh, I've found a better route. Would you like me?" And it's almost like that distraction of a conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's um, and of course it's not going to ask you at an appropriate moment. Uh, no. No. Your, your passenger, if you're driving, and people say to me when they say, oh, "Well, you're taking a hands-free call," and I say, "Well, you're you're distracted." And they say, no, I'm not. It's just like talking to a passenger. And they say, well, it's not because when you come to a roundabout and you're negotiating traffic, your passenger naturally stops talking as it goes, oh. And then they carry on. Yeah. The sat-nav that's sending messages to you or the notifications that are coming through your phone are indiscriminate to that. They'll just come regardless. Mm-hmm. The person that you're talking to on the telephone who, who is remote from you doesn't know what you're dealing with, so it just carries on talking, um, which, again, adds more demand into the driving environment that causes problems with drivers and then things start to unravel because there's only so much cognitive power that you've got to be able to deal with something before something starts slipping off the other end yeah and that's obviously we're not going to make this an academic thing but actually the way that our brain works is you only have a a certain amount of cognitive load to devote to one task at a time and so um, i was actually talking to somebody this morning because i was quite excited about today's interview and i was saying and it's really interesting and i have to keep this to half an hour you know about yeah. half an hour actually i think there's so much more to talk about here and and uh, the kind of digital distractions and kind of what that has an impact on about how young people use their phone and i'm just going to say for example for maps for um learning learning how to get around the country um at hotels wise and so on because that's what they tend to do i'm going into a new town so i'll search the hotel whilst i'm driving and i'll see what the reviews say and i'll go on trip advisor and and this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about isn't it it's mm-hmm. about having the patience to wait until you get to your destination yeah and, exactly. and i i personally see my car as a sacred space you know there's 
generally no children in the car. I get to listen to the music station I want. I get to listen to whatever it is that I want to, without anybody distracting me and telling me off. I don't take phone calls. And that way I get space and time to myself. And obviously uh, being a therapist, that's how I kind of do one of my versions of self-care is my car is the place where I'm quiet. So it's really interesting how, what you were saying earlier about the notifications. And I'm just thinking about this is, this is what we're having to deal with, isn't it? Is, is mm. The world has suddenly got no patience. Yes. That's, that's what it feels like. The world has suddenly got a demand on, I need an answer immediately. Um, and if you don't answer me, then it means X, Y, Z. Yeah. It's, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out. People don't want to miss out on stuff. Yeah. You know, that alert notification comes through and, and, and it's almost built into your um, programming to sort of go, oh, there's an alert and, and look. And it's trying to change that behavior, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Think campaign said put the phone in the phone, stop calling it the glove box, call it the phone compartment, put your phone in the, in the phone compartment and just leave it there while you're driving, you know. Yeah. Well, for me, for Changing me, habits, isn't it? it's always about language. If you change your language, that helps somebody think about something in a different frame. And, and Yeah, yeah. Okay. So before we finish, do you want to give your, uh, where people can find you, uh, your social media handles? I will put them in the, the show notes. I think that's what they're called. Yeah. Actually, if people are listening, they can kind of go, that's what I need to type in. Obviously not whilst driving. And then yeah. look for you on social media. Yeah. Um, you'll find me um, on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I'm on Snapchat as well and Instagram. They're all at Sergeant TCS. Um, which across those platforms is the same um, handle all the way. Um, predominantly, you'll find me on Twitter more than anywhere else. That's my, my biggest main communication area. Um, the website now for Don't Stream and Drive has all sort of been consolidated into one new home, which is quite nice at don'tstreamanddrive.com. Uh, and there's contact pages on there where you can get hold of me as well. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to accept sort of contact from anybody that wants to talk about uh, the dangers of distracted driving. So. Lovely. Lovely. Okay, so thank you very much for your time. Neil, My pleasure.